0: Hello, oh hello, hello hello. What's up, Devin? (laughs) Well, good evening, everybody. How are y'all? That's something. Feel super. I I moved up to see if I could get out of the light, but no such luck. No, you're good. You leave it on. That's fine. Well, like uh, like Alex said, tonight we're gonna be diving in to the question what are spiritual gifts not gifts gifts if you want to text in questions it's going to be 478-569-6180 and feel free who has been to a QA night before raise your hand cool know what we're working with so kind of the premise of tonight is like alex said we are going to work off of this core question Tonight uh, in the past we've worked through questions. What does it mean that God is sovereign? Uh, How could God make somebody knowing they wouldn't choose him and the such? What is free will? All those ones we've gotten to tackle in the past. So if you are curious about going back and listening to those or if you were here and want to go back and listen anyway, aside from the free will one, that one got mixed up on the recording. Um, Please do. But tonight we get to dive into this. So spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts all throughout Scripture are very explicitly stated and talked about, um, but in today's world, uh, sometimes poorly defined and uh, exemplified. And so to start with a base answer for a base question, what are spiritual gifts? Uh, A definition I kind of pulled together from studying throughout the week, leading up to tonight. If you take notes, try to feel free if you want to jot this down. What are spiritual gifts? I'll start with what they are not. And sometimes that's a good way to work to a definition. What they are not is self-defined roles based on human feeling or emotion. In other words, spiritual gifts aren't figured out or thought up based on what someone wants to do or what they feel they're most talented in or namely a DISC test, if you've grown up in the Baptist bubble. A DISC test is an example of a spiritual gifts test you might take with your small group that spits out an answer that you are gifted in discernment. And that is something that is not true. So, floor is open, spiritual gifts, what they are, spiritual gifts are the ways in which God gives his sons and daughters specific but not exclusive Talents and abilities that are used to build up the body of Christ, his church. Spiritual gifts are given to believers to build up the church. What they are not, they are not self-defined, self-given for the appearance of self, but they are given by God for the purpose of God, for God himself. Floor's open. Kaylee. Uh, I'll come to Kaylee's defense here. Um, If you spent more than five minutes around Jack for maybe groups of five times of five minutes, he himself has discussed his stupid hands. (laughs) Kaylee's not calling him out. He pretty frequently and adamantly talks about his own hands.
1: And his high school stories.
0: And his high school stories. (laughs) But we love him. to answer your question with scripture, <laughs> which we try to do, um, and, and I forgot to preface tonight, um, as much as you guys may press into tonight, uh, please understand that any answer I give, uh, I tried to, and not just try to, but have fought throughout the week to give from the root of scripture. So that's kind of what we're going to sit on tonight, not necessarily anecdotal evidence or stories, although it can be helpful in situations, but especially in this topic. Uh, we'll be diving back into Scripture for that. So, to try to answer Kaylee's question, if you're handy with a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. And as you get there, I'll go ahead and start reading. We'll be in 4 through 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. Now, there are varieties of gifts To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So, a lot to unpack there, but in regards to Kaylee's question, is, is somebody given one, right? If if from what I understand from your question, does somebody receive one? How do we know who has which one? Does everybody get them? them? So look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So to each they're referring to the body of Christ and those individuals within. So to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We know that Christ came and died for God's children, right? For each, the manifestation of the Spirit, being Christ himself, is given, both on the cross and through his resurrection, for their individual giving, gifting. So, it goes down this list of giftings, uh, examples given utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. We can see in Romans 12, as well, in verses 4 through 8, for as in one body, we have many members, again the body referring to the body of Christ, So some more scriptural basis and definition that is clear that there are certain strengths, like we said in our early definition that we started with, uh, that spiritual gifts are specific but not exclusive. So if you know me and Tyler, right, if you've spent enough time around us, you can probably guesstimate that I can probably spell better and maybe verbiage a little bit better than Ty. But you can also probably guess that Tyler can love you a little bit more intentionally and generously than I can, or at least in a different way. So although we are many, we're a body of one in Christ, as the manifestation of Christ was given to each. So we each can have this certain leaning or giftedness in one specific area. I know I'll never be able to out uh, generous I'll never be able to outdo Ty in generosity doesn't mean that I shouldn't try as he's an example to me and how to be generous to those but it's also just an understanding God has naturally gifted Tyler and the way his heart and his mind operates that he will love you to a fault and his joy is I've said it since high school slap happy, mine doesn't work that way it pushes me to strength in different directions of giftedness Yes. So, for the podcast, to kind of restate and hopefully do it justice, Kaylee's question. Um, as you're born a Christian and you grow into Christianhood, do you also grow into the, uh, the gifts you've been given? So, um, important to take a step back here. I understand what you're saying, but also to understand that none of us are born Christian, Right? All of us are born exactly the opposite, depraved and separate from God. Although we are known before the foundation of the world by God, we don't yet know that we're known. Uh, I didn't know I was yet known before the foundation of the world by God until I was 12, 13. Right? Alex last year, examples after examples, Allison this year, what a joy of a celebration. Right? So to start with that basis, so in the same way that we can't be made aware of God and who he is until he himself makes us aware of who he is and that being our salvation gifts of the spirit are similar in the sense that we again cannot self claim or title them you tracking with me we can't really claim our own so if somebody says oh I think I'm really gifted in discernment who has heard that before who has said that before discernment There you go. Kaylee's just... Y'all ought to just text Kaylee your questions, and she'll just ask everybody's. Discernment is testing of the spirits that have gone out into the world, right? We're called to do it. Every believer is called to discern. So really, can one person be gifted exclusively in discernment? No. No. So to answer your question... Spiritual gifts and salvation are similar in the way that you couldn't earn or claim either of them. Salvation given unto you, spiritual gifts given unto you, both also similar in the sense that neither of them are necessarily for you, aside from giving you new life in Christ, but ultimately for the building up of Christ's church, his body. Your salvation is purely for the glory of God and for you to enjoy his glory. Your spiritual gifts are not for you, but more so to build up the church as you utilize them, as you know God more. And here's the thing. I'll go ahead and touch this topic. The way in which you use gifts, and I know we're broaching this subject because it was in the passage we just read. Spiritual gifts, but also supernatural gifts, which we'll set aside for a second. The way in which you use your spiritual gifts and the way in which the apostles and those in the Bible use their spiritual gifts were never linked to their zeal or passion. They were linked to their obedience. Just stick that in your head. So as you become more aware of who the Lord is and who he says he is, right, the more you become obedient to him, the more you are usable as a vessel by the Lord. No, it, it means following who Christ calls you to be. Set apart. But like, that happens because of yes. God will will you unto obedience. If not will, he will break us unto obedience. Yes. Yes. So, great question. Thank you. That was Taylor's question. So, Taylor asked a question for those on the podcast uh, to try to explain a little bit more on 1 Timothy four fourteen, which reads, Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So, what that is talking about is the body in which you are in and how it can help you realize or come to realize what the Lord has gifted you in, in doing. So prophecy in this situation, and like I would, uh, in my personal study and opinion, agree that in today's world, past the Bible, past all of Scripture, and and the New Testament church that we live in today, there's no need for a new prophecy. All right, let me explain that a little bit. You heard it Sunday if you came, or if you want to go back and listen to the podcast, the fullness of God was given to us in Christ. Do we need to know anything past what God has given us in Scripture? No. He's given us the foundation we need. Does God still work today? Yes. But does he work outside the confines of Scripture? Absolutely not. If God was evolving and changing with us, God would not be the same God he was before today and tomorrow. That means our God would be shifting. And if our God is shifting, especially when he's shifting in response to how we act or live or obey, then we're in a whole lot of trouble. Also then, if we say God operates in that way, I know this is a side tangent, but I'm I'm going somewhere with it. If we say God operates in that way, then he does not know the sins that we are to commit. Instead, he's coinciding with us as we act, which God is not, outside of time as the creator of time. So in this verse specifically, and I'm not just saying it to, no, I mean, I am just saying it, This verse is very clear on why it is pivotal for your Christian walk, if you can say you're a child of God, to be plugged into a local church. The verbiage here is very specific and necessary that it says, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands. Laid their hands is not the made-up way in which we see today a spontaneous touching of hands that leads to healing, but rather a, a reverent type of prayer and brotherhood led by elders which is an office in scripture given to men above reproach within the local body of a church distinctly for this purpose to call out raise up and build up future leaders of the church so then we see again in this verse the consistency and which even the help in defining what one may be gifted in is still for the edification of the body for the individual that's being talked about in verse 14, it was not so that they could figure out their giftedness, but it was the elders of the church acting as the church and helping the building up of the church for this member. So it's not the elders. Well, we, thought, but we were confused it sounded like for a bit, like the elders were the ones who were giving the gifts. No. No, elders not giving the gifts, but in the prophecy in that sense, looking back, right, and this is what I was getting to, thank you for Re-asking. As there's no new prophecy necessary for the church today, there can still be prophecy upon old revelation. I know that's hard to tackle in the mind. A prophecy upon old revelation, if I tell you, Taylor, if I tell you and I'm in turn praying with you in this same way and saying you are going to face tribulation throughout this life, but take heart, you are clearly gifted and clinging to the Lord through your discernment. Is that anything new outside of Scripture? No. But in that moment, it's a remembrance of Scripture to you. So then prophecy upon that definition isn't synonymous with new revelation as was given to the church in the Old Testament, but is speaking the promises of Scripture over the church.
1: Yep, and so I think a good question to follow up that one um, is the first one that was sent in is why can't we do miracles
0: like the disciples in the New Testament could? Nice. So if you all want to turn to Romans 8... Alex, you want to read that one more time? Yeah, so the question
1: again. Why can't we do miracles like the disciples in the New Testament could?
0: All right, here we go. Y'all in Romans A, right? So while you're there, I'm going to read Acts, 12, Acts 5, 12 through 16. Acts 5, 12 through 16. Mark it down. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. That's the place where the apostles would preach. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the church. Multitudes of both men and women so that they even carried out of the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by at least his shadow might fall on some of them the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all healed so logistical question what did all of the apostles have in common with each other that we can't say we have they walked with Jesus it's said by many theologians and scholars of the Bible much smarter than me that they received the fullness of spirit in the way that they were walking with his embodiment so we carry in the same sense the fullness of the spirit through our salvation but not necessarily in function or practice and that we can conjure the works that the apostles did also a second answer to that question the apostles didn't just carry out the miracles and healings and everything that they did do in that time because they wanted to, right? Certainly they did out of obedience, but also because the Lord used those for that time to prove himself. Not that he needed verification of who he says he was. His word was enough, but in his mercy to the people of that time, he sought to exercise those miracles through the apostles in that way. So follow-up question to that answer. Those miracles we read of, were given for what purpose to see that the lord is who he said he was to see that god was all powerful in the way that he said he was so as we read these and pray on these and and feast on these scriptures is the gift that the apostles carried out through their healing to the sick any less edifying to us through its intended purpose no we can see Scripture calls us to trust that the apostles did what they said they did, that they healed the sick. Do we need to be in the presence or ourselves healing the sick to trust the purpose that God gave them those gifts for? No. No, we don't. Hold on to your question. Right? So, short answer, why do we not, How? why and how can we not? Functionally, I don't believe we do or are called to in the same essence that they did because I don't see that God is deeming it necessary in this way. So you're in Romans 8. Here we go. Diving in. Uh, No, no, Romans 1. My bad, my bad. (laughs) Romans 8 is another sermon. Romans 1.18, starting there. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppresses truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So pause there. Have we not been shown the goodness of God? That's not a trick question. Have we been shown the goodness of God? Yes. Through both the scripture, through the collection of scripture, through the promises of scripture through being on the other side of Scripture, through Christ himself and Scripture. So, think on that. 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. We go on to see throughout the rest of that chunk of scripture that God gave them up two more times. So, again, what did the apostles have in common that we can't necessarily take part in? The physical walking and abiding with the embodiment of the Spirit. That should be spoken for as we look and recognize that even in scripture itself, that they were the ones who carried out the healing of the sick. Right? As we just read, that Peter to such an extent that people were crowding the streets just to fall in his shadow. Side, doubly sidebar, those that were in his shadow were not healed. That was just the extent of how much Christ was using Peter at that time, that he was thought to be someone who could. right? So people wanted to be so close to him as to be in his shadow. So, why can we not heal in that way today is it that I think God can't use us in that way not necessarily is it because I think God doesn't necessarily need to as he's already used his followers in a time and in a place where it was entirely necessary for the advancement of the gospel absolutely and we consider where we're at in the gospel today the church can consider its obedience in the gospel today The men described as the apostles and those who were exceptions, such as Peter and Paul, were men that were described as high esteem, righteous. We can read in Romans 8, our description that we carry. So we wonder, and I want to be careful as I say this, not that our obedience, just in the same way, can't conjure up supernatural powers within ourselves, right? Only God given for... God-divine, divinely appointed situations, but consider who the apostles were, and then look at ourselves and consider where we land in the discipline of quiet time, and the discipline of prayer. How much, even more so, were the apostles devoutly obedient, and how much more so were they used? Again, not that, I, I don't say this, so Tom, my favorite person to use an example. I don't say this, so Tom can hear me say that, and then go off, not listen to any more secular music, not cuss ever again, not eat any red meat, heap all the old law commands over himself, and pray every day, 24 hours a day, however you would figure out how to do that, and worship solely through every type of way. So I'm not saying, so Tom or you guys can go do that, because again, it's not about what you do, but how the Holy Spirit is gifted in a situation for the embodiment of his church on earth. So again, hear me, I just don't see that as necessary in America, right? In a nation that is so saturated with churches, or at least buildings that would call themselves churches. And consider where we hear most of the Examples and anecdotal stories of where we do see any healing today or any speaking of tongues in today. It's from men who I really, really trust in their teaching of Scripture who have all seen and heard of it on the outskirts of missions, meaning third world countries, where may it still be necessary the Lord exercises His Holy Spirit. So to pin all that in a short, way answer. It's not that we can't exercise, not that I don't think we can the same giftedness that the apostles exercised. It's because the apostles even themselves weren't the ones that exercised that. It was the Holy Spirit through them. Never in history was it ever a man asking God for the gift of such and such, and then that man being able to exercise said gift. It was the Holy Spirit in a divinely appointed time exercising its own power and its own right for its own glory. All right, so I have two questions, but I'm going to start you with the first.
1: Um, How do you know what your spiritual gifts are? It sounds very subjective based on what your interests and, quote, natural talents are. And I'll repeat that again. How do you know what your spiritual gifts are? It sounds very subjective based on what your interests and, quote, natural talents are.
0: Uh, it Again, was, it was perfectly set up by, t- by the question Taylor asked and, and Timothy by plugging into a local church. It's not, I mean, it's not, I'm not giving a, a loaded answer uh, to a loaded question, but that is the sole way. Those who operated in the church, they're the ones who were able to discern for one another how they were gifted. Only way I've been able to know how Tyler is gifted is through 19 years of life with him, 18 of which... We're together through a local church. It's not some building we came and gathered in, it's because we we're both saved, operating as the church in a local church. We got to do life together, through the mud of life together. And the church is the only way, and it's specifically the only bride Christ has, in which you can come in and learn the full, full definition of your purpose, right? And hear me say this as the college director of Full Accord Ministry, not a single college gathering will be able to help you figure this out. Not a youth group, not a small group, not an MC. But the church and all its functionings yes, MC, yes, DNA, but also people who are older than you, people from different walks like you. Not just locking ourselves off in those things, because if we're just around people that look like us and talk like us and walk like us, they're probably going to tell us that we're gifted like them but if we're in a body that is devoutly obedient to loving christ above all else glorifying christ above all else then we will sharpen each other while we both run after christ so how do you figure out your spiritual gift not by taking a test not by taking a buzzfeed quiz good grief (laughs) not don't do that unless you're doing it as a joke (laughs) all right but by plugging into a local church, that's God's design for his bride. It's to both sharpen you unto your purpose that will glorify him, but also help you in figuring that out amongst other believers. Yeah, and so the second question,
1: I think it goes with it pretty well.
0: Are we supposed to practice spiritual gifts, or do they just happen? So nothing just kind of happens, right? If so, we would just kind of sit on our hands and wait for something to happen. It's like... None of you have seen this movie, I don't think. Only Tyler and I. Chronicle, any of y'all seen that movie? Oh, Evan, oh. All right, all right. It's not like we have telekinesis. Hey, there you go, Charles. <laughs> so, cheap example, but it's not like we can just sit on our hands and watch things happen. The same is to be said about spiritual gifts. But, as Paul tells us, is to seek the knowledge of these things and increase our love for these things. As a pastor, I very much trust, named Paul Washer, said the Christian life should look supernatural, but supernatural in the ways that we are in such awe of who the Lord is. Not in the sense that we try to conjure up supernatural works of ourselves. Again, I don't think they're functionally necessary for today. If only we would just take all the time, we try to think of what more there could be, and instead see it revealed in the Lord, right? So, are we supposed to practice spiritual gifts? Again, how do we see and understand for ourselves and live out our spiritual giftedness through obedience to Christ. So, you guys tell me, are we supposed to practice our spiritual gifts if it's rooted in obedience to Christ? Absolutely. Kaylee? Yeah, I I got you. So the question is, can you figure out your spiritual gift, or can you just be a person? Uh, to answer that in a button type of answer, you will. Again, because it's not yours to figure out. If you're doing life with other believers, they will, upon your obedience to the Lord, help you see what your spiritual gifting is. If it's in kindness, in kindness. If it's in truth, seeking truth in that. If it's in speaking truth, speaking truth, in that. If it's in your service, then in how you serve, right? In all generosity. So can you just be a person to unpack that? No. God didn't just to, to, uh, bring any of his beings, especially his children, into this life without purpose just to simply exist and be a person. Even those who are not saved and will not be all serve a purpose in the sense that they are lacked lacking gifts in these ways, and uses vessels of wrath for the building up of vessels of righteousness. So nobody can simply just exist and be a person. Again, if you're functioning in the church, you will see through fellowship with Christ and other believers where you're gifted spiritually. Again, because you can't define it yourself. right? Just because you want or think you can do something doesn't mean you can. The same is to be said for pastor, Kyle. He has a list of expectations given by Christ to live up to in obedience to be a pastor. Kyle didn't just one day wake up and think, I'm pretty good at the speaking thing and loving people thing and being there for people thing. Sure, that may have been an inkling into what she then took and laid at the feet of Christ and said, Father, please help me see why you are giving me these things and these thoughts and ideas, but ultimately it was older men in his life, it was brothers in his life, and ultimately the Lord who called him unto his pastorhood. But he's still not getting to carry that out just because he wants to. Through the qualifications given in scripture, if Kyle left Jen and instead chose to wed another wife, which I know he would never ever do, and I'm sorry, Jen, for even using this example, but Kyle would be disqualified as a pastor as the qualification is given a husband to one wife. So just because Kyle wants to or maybe has signs that he could be or should be a pastor, he could not be then at that point, right? Spiritual giftedness can, ever, can never, ever override our call to obedience in other areas of Scripture. Like we figured out, spiritual giftedness is only found and rooted in obedience to Scripture to begin with. It can't flip-flop.
1: All right, so we have a few I'm trying to figure out which one.
0: Um, we'll start off with this one.
1: I know there are specific spiritual gifts listed in the Bible. Are there other gifts, or just the ones specifically mentioned in Scripture? And they gave some examples like Romans twelve six through eight or Ephesians four eleven.
0: So, if somebody wants to turn to Romans twelve, what do you say six through eight? Yeah. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. uh, I would say that list is given following that, right? So if you turn to it, let us use them, and then it gives a list there. Uh, I don't think it necessarily leaves it up to imagination. I don't know who was asking that. Um, So is is the list given to us exhaustive? Not necessarily, but I also don't think if you're thinking... That spiritual giftedness in that way is, can somebody mind read? No. Uh, I don't mean to belittle, but that's something we can fall into if we're not careful about being content with Christ himself as he's our gift of the spirit, right? If we try to see anywhere we can kind of out Messiah Christ himself, that's kind of sticky, sticky situation. I have two more questions.
1: Or yeah, so these are pretty much the same, so I'm gonna ask them both together. Um, what is speaking in tongues is the first. And the second is are there two different types of speaking in tongues? I know in I know Acts and one of the Corinthians talks about tongues, but they both feel very different.
0: What what is one of the Corinthians? <laughs> I'm assuming it was first Corinthians fourteen. We can assume that. <laughs> So, baseline answer. Speaking in tongues is nothing but phonetic language divinely inspired by Christ to his followers that is known and heard in somebody else's native tongue. It is not holy syllables that you utter very fast until it turns into a prayer language. It is not something you can practice and get better at. Again, it is something that the Spirit works out for itself as it did in Acts. Go back and read it tonight. Acts 2. The Holy Spirit descended and then who, who was speaking in tongues? Pastor Kyle. Here's the lob. Give me the slam dunk. Who was in yes, in Acts 2. <coughs> the apostles. Phonetic language. Okay. No sort of angelic language. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. The 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. (laughs) Yes. So, 1 Corinthians 14, go into it, and as somebody gets there, Ty, do you have it maybe? You got it? Allison, go ahead. Read the portion about the angelic speaking in tongues. Give a chapter and verse for everybody. Verse 1.
2: Yes, that's was gonna say. follow the way above the Hebrew desire, gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God, indeed, no one understands them, they utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophe the one who prophecies, prophesies, speaks to people
0: further, strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. All right, thank you. Good. So Like she read for the podcast, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The root definition and how that is translated in tongues here in the original Greek is still a phonetic language still a phonetic language. Paul would also go on to say to those who think or have the gift of speaking in tongues that if there is not a translator present, to be quiet and be a part of the church. So, to kind of give a practical example of what speaking in tongues was and would be today if it was portrayed accurately, uh, would be as if Sarah here stood up And I bet you don't know Swahili. It would be be as if Sarah stood up, never having studied this language and never having ever anything regarding this language, stood up and started speaking Swahili. And it would also be as if then Alyssa, since I pick on her for all the languages she does know, also willing to bet you don't know Swahili stood up, and was able to translate the Swahili. So then, what Paul is talking about here, say Sarah still stood up and was speaking Swahili, but there was nobody in the room who also stood up and was able to translate Swahili. What good is that language to Sarah and everybody else in the room? Nothing. It's not good for anything at all. So who then is it beneficial for between Sarah and who? God. So an angelic tongue in that way is simply a tongue being spoke when there is not a translator present. When again, I'll remind everybody, when that is happening, as Paul would go on to say, the one who is speaking in tongues is then deemed to be quiet and be content with who Christ is and play their role in the church. So again, to hit the nail on the head, speaking in tongues is phonetic language in Scripture always. And I'll double up with this answer. What good would it be for Sarah to stand up and start speaking in tongues in Swahili, and Melissa to stand up and start translating tongues in Swahili for a room full of Americans? It wouldn't be any good. So be careful about those who would claim to speak in tongues when it doesn't resemble anything regarding a phonetic language, especially in a nature and an environment where it is not necessary. Why are spiritual gifts gifted, including supernatural? We talked about it. It's our baseline answer for the building up of the church. What kind of buildup for the church would it be if Sarah herself and God sat there and mumbled Swahili to herself? No good at all. Perhaps that's why then we hear about stories, again, from men I trust, that are on the fringes of missions where this is happening. Do I think this happens in America or functionally that God is using us to make this happen today? Absolutely not, not here. Now, if you're feeling the call to missions, please be our in-person example and go to the fringes somewhere and tell me how much you abide in the Holy Spirit and rely on him and see maybe how he uses you. But... Again, all throughout Scripture, even as we live and breathe today, speaking in tongues is not muttered syllables. It's not something that's strung together, and it's not some holy mumbling. It's utterances of wisdom, because speaking in tongues is the gospel in other languages. That's it. That's what it was in Acts. That's what it is throughout Scripture. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what it would be for us today, need it be functionally necessary. And so our next question
1: is, can people still do miracles I saw people attempting to heal the other day at a different event and it didn't feel right. Is that a lack of faith in me believing it to be happening or something else? I'll read that again. Can people still do miracles? I saw people attempting to heal the other day at a different event and it didn't feel right. Is that a lack of faith in me believing it to be happening or something else?
0: What event are you guys talking about? oh man (laughs) short answer no Um, and where I come from with that is the same in which again is it necessary are miracles necessary for today I don't think so are the ones given to us in scripture just as profitable for us and their purpose and the reason they happen do they show us that God is powerful Do they show us that God alone is powerful? Yes. Consider a moment what we define as a miracle. Something that is so, so, so uh, tossed back and forth and has been stripped down to its core. Uh, Another definition I was hoping somebody would ask. A definition of a miracle. A supernatural event that God orchestrates and is outside the realm of human understanding or explanation. What are some examples of miracles we see in Scripture? Perhaps a parting, not quite, perhaps a parting of a Red Sea. Perhaps a staff being turned into a snake, engulfing other snakes and back into a staff. Perhaps being given a loaf of bread and feeding 4,000. Perhaps a dead man being raised to life apart from medical help and aid. Do we see any of those today? No. Do we see God's divinity? Yes. So I think we need to take a step back and see a miracle for what it is and have a proper and larger view of God and how he reveals himself in that way. And even so, a larger view of how he reveals himself through his divinity. Which I mean to say, his practicing of his being sovereign and the way he orchestrates and commands his children to act in a certain way for the glory of himself to go into all the earth. Kaylee, throughout healing, um, I want to explain why I don't necessarily think at its, at its core is uh, miraculous. Um, turn to James 5 if you are able. Five thirteen through 16 is what we'll be reading, even if we want to jot it down. James five thirteen through 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. You all catch that? Let him call for the elders of the church. Not a group who travels around the country trying to supplant the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Pay attention here to three different things. Who the Lord calls to bring the sick to. The elders of the church. How the Lord conducts the elders to pray for the sick in Christ what the result of prayers for the sick are, that they will be raised up. But how will they be raised up? Pay attention to what is said and what the summation of it is. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So what type of sickness are we discussing here? Spiritual. So God commands his children to act in a way, again, here we see the elders of the church to act in a certain way. You have to understand this too. The elders of the church, again, being called out even as those who are pace-setting the church itself. In obedience, and zeal for the Lord, in temperance of the Lord, in love for the Lord, in obedience to the Lord, and all these things which make them what they are. They're not elders because they wear a title, but they're elders because of how they're told to act and live and because they do those things. So, why is it so important that that's who we see in the Scripture? Again, because God didn't call His church to play doctor with each other and act as if we can lay hands, raise an emotional experience that would trick those to think that their back problem is healed based off of an adrenaline high. And we see this all around the country. We see groups traveling to college campuses around the country, saying and doing this. Think about this logistically. If I asked all of you in this room, whoever in their life has had a back problem, or even now your back is hurting, raise your hand. If your hands aren't raised, I'd love to meet your chiropractor. (laughs) So then what effect would it have if I were to come to Tom? and give some plate up. Brother, I just think your back pain is from the demon of anxiety, and you're just carrying too much weight on your shoulders. Let me pray for you. Can I pray for you, please? No, that's not what we're seeing here in Scripture. We see God call the sick to be taken to the elders of the church who are discerning upon meeting the needs of the church. Not for me to play doctor or God, for Tom, and contort what is a back pain into some demon. Also, side sidebar, not that any of you ask this, but can a Christian be possessed by a demon? No. Absolutely not. Can anything other than Christ dwell where Christ is dwelling with a believer? No. Can the sufferings of anxiety and depression and doubt and guilt and everything creep in? Yes, but as a Christian, we call those conviction. And we let them carry us to obedience. We don't blame them and play them off as if the devil is more powerful than the Lord and can infiltrate his body in this temple. That one's for free. You don't even have to ask.
1: So next question. When we figure out our
0: gifts, do we have to tell people or can we just do them? I would encourage you to just act in obedience and do them. If you're going to a mountain stop and saying, yes, look at me. I can teach. You probably don't carry the humility it takes to teach. Just as the same if you (laughs) think you are outrageously gifted in loving others, come, let me love you. I am the best at it. (laughs) You probably aren't selfless enough to love others how they need to be loved. Again, take note of the example of those who have gone before us and acted in obedience and their spiritual giftings. Very, I mean, we're going through it in Philippians right now. Paul himself talked about his spiritual giftedness, both through his stature in Christian culture. And he said he counted it all as loss. So whatever thing you have stacked up for yourself, remember, your giftedness is not even yours. It's Christ.
2: First of all, I came here and I didn't know
0: spirit possessed worth of it, and now I learned that people can actually be possessed by demons and it's not like something that I watch in a movie that scares me. So, um, what else happened? I would say in a brief answer, <laughs> Kaylee, outside of what we me, you and some other knowledgeable folks had talked about after this, that there are vessels of wrath being used by God for the building up of his church. Again, does that mean I think demons are walking around in this room? I don't think it's some Hollywood effect in that way. I think we can see in Romans where we read earlier tonight that God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up to their natural passions and lusts of their minds and hearts. I think that's more demonic. I think we can take note of it in our culture. Do I think the law that and bill that was just passed regarding abortion is demonic in nature? Absolutely. Do I think God is using it for his glory? Yes, even more so.
1: All right, so if you want to go ahead and turn to John fourteen twelve, and they quoted this in the question, and John fourteen 12, um, I'll let you guys read that, and uh, the question that comes out of it is, what does Jesus mean, if not miracles, because he did miracles? <coughs> when you read it, it'll make more sense.
0: Go ahead, go Do you want to read it? I mean right, I can't. I it, it's it, up there. I mean, I'll read All it, I'll
1: right. read it, sure, you know. Okay, so John fourteen twelve. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. And so the question that comes out of that is, what does Jesus mean if not miracles, because he did
0: miracles? Cool. So go back to eight. Verse 8, if you're already there. This is a conversa- conversation between Philip and the Lord. As Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. The sound similar to what we read of Moses on Sunday, of saying, God, I want to see your glory. Philip and the Lord continue. Show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Now, 12, where the question was asked, we understand the context now. Truly, truly, the Lord says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified, and the Son, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Look at 15. Why is it that we can't do the miracles that Jesus did, especially based on what we just read? Look at the summation in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So let me, let me ask a question back to the question. Are you content with Christ only based on what you can do through the power of Christ, or would you be content in following his commandments as they bring you life itself? This whole culture that thinks we can conjure up miracles of ourselves today and to put a face and name to it. The new apostolic reformation, the word of faith movement, the prosperity gospel, the name it and claim it generation. right This ideology that because you are in the spirit, that you can conjure up your will as the Lord's will coincides with it simply does not exist. Look at what we just read between Philip and the Lord. Show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, before I read Jesus' reply again, what does it look like when body after body or movement after movement that calls us to carry the love and to go to every end of the earth and to work and believe and trust and do do you not suppose that their actions and their functionings and their purpose would say to the same Lord, Father, we're just waiting on you. We know you're going to move, and we trust that, and we'll walk side by side in that. Does that sound bad on the surface? Maybe not. It sounds like the call for a movement of a generation It sounds like thousands that are come together are February 23rd at something called The Send in California, led by what people like Paul would call dogs of the church, like Todd White, that are saying that same thing. Father, we're trusting you to move. We know you're going to. Holy Spirit, come rain down. Show us more of yourself, Lord. Has God already not done that? Jesus said to him, have I, not, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? I have a feeling this is the same group that will reach eternity's gates and hear depart from me I never knew you. Let's be careful about movements, people, wolves who would claim that they're workers of the Lord when they're not even content in the work the Lord has already done.
1: Next question uh, Can God use prayers of the saints other than elders to heal?
0: I think we need to be careful about that. God certainly calls his saints, and if you are unfamiliar with that definition, (laughs) if you're unfamiliar with that verbiage, (laughs) be obedient members of the New Testament church. There's not some sort of holiness that comes along with saint. just like there is, sidebar, didn't even have to ask. The Catholic Church that still tries to shake the grounds of how it used to function as if somebody who carries the title Father or Pope carries some extra amount of deity is demonic and not true. Saint, obedient follower of the Lord. So, uh, can the Lord use his prayers? Absolutely, he calls the saints to pray for the sick, for the widowed, for each other. Can he use them to embolden fellow saints? Yes, absolutely. But I think we need to be careful, especially when Scripture, example after example, calls the saints to carry the sick to the elders. That falls back into, are we content with playing our role in Christ? It's the fullness of Christ for us and our purpose.
1: All right, so it is 913. I'm going to ask this next question and then one more, just so you're aware. Um, So this next question is, what does prophecy mean And is it a spiritual gift?
0: Prophecy is certainly spoken of as a spiritual gift, especially in some scriptures we read tonight. Uh, But I would say prophecy, although it does not carry in nature two differing definitions, I'd say prophecy as scripture was being written, was given to the writers of scripture and the foreshadowing of scripture. Does that make sense? So then prophecy carried the weight of new revelation Uh, But like I mentioned tonight, I would barter that prophecy can also, as we're called in the New Testament church, to prophesy. It's certainly not about any new revelation. Don't get me wrong. I've already nailed that down. I don't think there needs to be any new revelation. I think if there was a need for new revelation, then the Lord would have included it in his holy word. Anything that one would seek to add to scripture or take away from scripture... Uh, again be careful around them and probably start walking the other way it's just not true the Lord wrote his word Um, I got sidetracked Uh, but to to answer the question prophecy our only role today in prophecy is to remind each other as the church and members of the church the promises of scripture not to tell of a future coming new revelation but to speak about what was prophesied what has been fulfilled in the Lord The only prophecy that is new we have to look forward to is the coming back of the Lord, but not even that. Our greatest hope is something that we thought up, right? something the Lord gave us. It's our finish line. So just because we talk about that doesn't make it a new prophecy. We're just relying on the prophecies that have been given on the foundation of the church. Are we content with that? Or do we have to make it something new? Okay, so our
1: last question of the night, and uh, this one's kind of wordy, so hold on with me. Did you say earlier there aren't demons or did I misunderstand? There are demonic, yes, sinful desires, but aren't there also demons that can possess those not saved since Jesus cast out demons? And I'll read that again. (laughs) Did you say earlier... There aren't demons, or did I misunderstand? There are demonic, yes, sinful desires, but aren't there are also demons that can possess those not saved since Jesus cast out demons.
0: Um, sorry, I wasn't clear enough earlier. I had said I don't think there are demons walking around in this room like it would seem on Paranormal Activity or like a book that a guy named Frank Peretti would write. and this is like a fun anecdote. I, I used to read this guy's books when I was really young in my faith. And he wrote this, I forgot what it's called, but it was talking about a small town pastor. Talking about the small town pastor who was planning this church, so you can imagine it's like crazy applicable. And I was reading this before anything, like before the branch was a thought. I was reading this in high school. So I was really young in my faith, I was reading this, and he painted this picture of demons that were how you would see them in a movie. This kind of demonic... Um, creature, he would use this beautiful language and verbiage about a creature digging its claws into the back of this pastor until he was so downtrodden that he couldn't even carry himself, lest it be the power of prayer. Um, do I think there's demons in those ways? I don't. I don't. I don't know. No. I don't. Not. I don't know. I would say no. I think Hollywood uh, does a better job selling a lie than some. Um, pastors would try to do in the pulpit today I think demons again are the product of somebody that's turned over to a debased mind which if we can remember that our core being as depraved and separate from God is the base level of um, depraved and demonic so that given completely over to itself um, I would imagine can get pretty demonic and see a lot of the demonic work it's carried out today so I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for said asker of question um, but I would just say do I think there's demons in that way today no I think um, yes are there demons at work today I think it should be clear that there is one namely Satan and his antichrist today that is as the Lord is allowing using vessels of wrath but for what to loop it all back into where we started even them for what the building up of the church anything else any, any question that if you don't ask, you won't sleep tonight? Or one you want to ask after, personally? Please do. Please do. But, again, thank you all for pressing into this with me. It's definitely one that is weighty and hefty, and you could study for a lifetime. So thank you so much for being patient with me, for asking some great, great questions, um, and pressing into the community. Again, I'll remind you, if you've liked this tonight, uh, as you're new with us, as you press into this community with us, Uh, I can only tell you that this is uh, nothing compared to the fellowship you receive through the local church here at the Branch Church Milledgeville. We press in the truths like this all the time. Uh, It's important. It's something that we should do, uh, something we should be well-versed in. So thank you guys so much for pressing in. If you had other questions, please still text them in because we can go back and look. Um, And I would really hope to do some videos here soon on Facebook, uh, maybe midweek videos Uh, The Monday Minute, maybe. Yeah, I'm going to do the Monday Minute here soon. (laughs) Take a minute, answer a question you got. Um, So send them in. Uh, We love questions. We really really trust that as we press into Scripture, they're edifying to y'all as well. So thank you guys so much. We love you guys. Thanks for coming out. Hope this spurs new thought and discussion. Love you guys.